Greetings, my good people. What is going on? What is happening? Hope you had a great weekend and hope you're getting your week off to a good start here on a President's Day holiday for most of us, myself included, thankfully, here on the J Reels Podcast as we talk to you about what's going on, the latest and greatest of the world of sports. If this is your first time tuning into the program, thank you very much for downloading and listening to the podcast and welcome aboard. And for those who've been with me on this journey from episode 1, 21, 41, now 54, I welcome you guys back here on a Monday, February the 18th. In the year of our Lord 2019 and just because we're in the sports dead zone doesn't mean we don't have anything to discuss in fact this is what's on tap for today's program we'll talk about Duke getting back to number one and their showdown with North Carolina coming on Wednesday we'll also recap what's happening with the Jacob deGrom situation his comments that were made last week in light of him not being a free agent for a couple of years and money that I'm sure that they're certainly looking to recoup considering his age 30 he'll be 31 this year I'll dissect that. The Antonio Brown mess, which I've been talking about for weeks on end, it seems like. But uh, we certainly have a gauntlet that's being thrown by Antonio Brown. What do the Steelers do? As a Steeler fan, as you all know, you know where I'm going to go with this. What the organization should do moving forward with their disgruntled all-pro wide receiver. We have that. We'll also get into everything that's happening with the NHL trade deadline. Colin Kaepernick, who uh, finally settled... We'll discuss that, but we'll start off the program with some NBA stuff. And now that we have All-Star Weekend in the books, we can now focus on the second half, or quote-unquote second half of the year, as most teams have played almost 60 games in this regular season. But I'm not going to say anything as far as the what happened over the weekend. I didn't watch a lick. I watched 20 seconds of the All-Star game yesterday. And for those who want to go jumping up and down, crazy that the Team LeBron we're down 20 points in the third quarter, came back and won whatever it was, 174 to 168, then good for you. Uh, I hope you slept well. I hope that you woke up this morning just jumping up and down, vigorous, going crazy about the game, how uh, entertaining it was. Great, but in the grand scheme of things, what does it mean? Zilch. And that's why I'm not going to discuss it. There's no need to discuss it. Same thing for the All-Star Saturday With the skills challenge, the slam dunk competition, and the three-point contest. I know for the local net fan, Joe Harris wins the three-point contest even when Steph Curry hits 10 threes in a row. So kudos to him. In fact, that piggybacks on last year's skills challenge winner, Spencer Dinwiddie. So the Brooklyn Nets are representing in the All-Star Saturday. And Jason Tatum. I'm going to get to his comments in a bit as we go around the league to see where the NBA landscape takes us here in this uh, final 24 games of the season. And his uh, prediction that he, I don't want to say he was boasting, he didn't sound like he was puffing out his chest, WWE style, but at the same time, it's out there and it's on the record. So him saying that they're going to go and win the finals, well, we'll get to the Celtics in a minute. So now as we look at the rest of this regular season, and we know the big questions are going to be the team that's going to come out of the East, considering now, who would have thought that the East would actually be stacked? Can you imagine? For, long, for the longest time, it was always about the West, and rightfully so, and the East was pretty much the bridesmaid. But now, when you look at how these teams have shaped up here, whether you're looking at a Milwaukee Buck team with Giannis and possibly your MVP of the league, then bringing in Miritich before the trade deadline to bolster their front court, Toronto, who has been steady and spectacular this year, bringing in Marcus Gasol, the Sixers, bringing in Jimmy Butler right before the season started and then Tobias Harris to add some more frontline superiority to an already stacked frontline, let's face it, 
And then you have the Celtics, which for all their bumps, bruises, and warts, they're 37-21 and tied with the Sixers in the Eastern Conference. So you have all those teams. One of those four could actually be in the mix to represent the East in the NBA Finals. With that, and then you also look out West with Golden State, them leading the pack, and which team from that conference is going to dethrone the four-time, that's right, four-time conference champs. Of course, remember, they did lose 2016. If not, they'd be going for a fifth NBA title in a row, which would have been unbelievable. But what team out there is going to be able to slay that beast? And then we have the Lakers, who right now are the outside looking in, wondering if they're going to get any type of reinforcement. Because remember, people, even though the trade deadline is come and gone, you do have up until March 1st to secure your roster to have players that will be on the postseason, provided that your team makes it to the postseason. And does that mean a one Carmelo Anthony becomes part of that mix out in L.A.? Now, as we've said time and time again, chances are that's not going to happen because, remember, they have to clear a roster spot for him. So that means they're going to have to dump somebody. All their guys are pretty much locked in for this year. They're not going to let any of the rookies go or, you know, the young players. They're not going to let Kuzma or Josh Hart or certainly Lonzo Ball, even with his injuries that he's been nursing here so far in his short career. But you're not going to let the, you know, Lance Stevensons, the JaVale McGee's, the Rajon Rondos go. So there's going to be no room for Carmelo. But will there be room for him on another team? A team that's looking to make a long, deep postseason run? Quite possibly. You know, there's a guy like, let's say, for instance, DeAndre Jordan, who signed that one-year deal with Dallas in the offseason, was traded to the Knicks in the Porzingis deal. And considering that he could be a guy that the Knicks could just let go if they don't see him to be part of their future, could he be a piece to a team looking to get to the mountaintop, whether it's in the East, whether it's out West, whether it's a team that's looking to go from a six seed to a three seed, whatever it may be. To me, those are guys that you got to look out for. Off the top of my head, I can't think of anybody else. And that's not to say DeAndre Jordan is going to get cut or released or anything like that. But if the Knicks are looking long-term, and if he's not going to be part of the plans, and we know what the Knicks record is as of today, and they're going nowhere, then why not just release him? Or who knows if Jordan's camp comes to Scott Perry and Steve Mills to say, hey, listen, we understand what the direction you guys are going. Is there any way that we could get a buyout? DeAndre could go somewhere else. So let's see if that happens to uh, take place here in the uh, next 13 days or so. Because remember, here we are on a Monday the 18th, and we're just now 13 days away until March 1st. And actually, it has to be done before March 1st. So February 28th, I believe at midnight, any deals with any players for them to be on a postseason roster, they would have to have it cleared before then. Now, as far as the divisions, or really, I should say, the conferences are concerned, you know, with everything that is stacked up in the East and how everything has seemed to be playing out, I can't say that everything is going to be chalk. You're probably looking at Milwaukee or Toronto as being a one seed in the East because when you're looking at 3-4-5, with Philly, Boston, and even Indiana. We can't forget them, which is amazing. You know, no Oladipo, and they've certainly been right there in the mix. With those three teams, they're probably going to jostle for three, four, and five. One and two, I think, would be safe. So who knows if it's going to be Milwaukee and Toronto at the end. There's your one seed. You could pretty much roll the dice on who's going to be three, four, or five. And that's going to be important because whoever's the fifth seed, that means he's got to go on the road throughout the whole postseason as opposed to at least hosting the home court in round number one 
in the East. And then the bottom three, you're looking at the Nets, who we'll get to in a second, Charlotte and Detroit. And then after that, the only team that's looking to be lurking in the wings would be Orlando and Miami. Can't forget Miami. And I'm sure Miami's going to do whatever it takes to get to the postseason because, as we all know, this is Dwayne Wade's last ride. So, or his last dance, as he's been calling it. And I'm sure everybody down in Miami are looking to get that push, even though there'll be sacrificial lambs in the first round to whomever they play, whether it be Milwaukee or Toronto. This is going to be a fascinating East in this regard. Out of those top five teams, and a lot of people aren't going to put Indiana there because they lost their best player, but give them credit. They've certainly been as tough, as gritty, as resourceful as they possibly can. Can it sustain over the course of the next 24 games? Now, they're going to make the postseason. It's not as if they're going to go from three to you know, 10. But at the same time, do you throw them into the mix with the Phillies, the Bostons, and obviously Milwaukee, Toronto? I don't know. But if they continue to play this way, you'd have to put up an argument to say, listen, at least they're in the fight. It's not as if they're going to go out quietly unless they suffer another injury or they just totally collapse here to the point where they just can't get back to their old selves even without Victor Oladipo. So the East is going to be fascinating in that regard. And then here locally, you got the Brooklyn Nets as uh, they had a big win right before the break, a three-overtime game against the Cavs, which was a game they needed to win. They had lost six out of seven. They had that great stretch in the middle where they won, I believe, 18 to 23. And then they certainly had not played well over the past couple of weeks. And then just getting that win, it didn't matter how. It could have been 20 overtimes. But they won the game. It's all that matters. We know Cleveland's an awful team. And the Brooklyn Nets, who are going to have a tough march, they have a seven, I think it's a seven-day, 17, or seven-game, 17-day trip out west, which, as we all know, not going to be that easy, especially a team that's young, still trying to find their identity. Because when you look at the Brooklyn Nets, they have a lot of young pieces, they have a couple of veterans, but you don't know what type of team they are. You don't know what the identity. Yeah, they fight, they scratch, they claw. They're a team that you can't sleep on. But are they an offensive team? Are they more defensive? Are they they're just a bunch of lunch pail guys? Because we, as we all know, they don't have that guy that's going to be that closer. I mean, you want to say D'Angelo Russell? Okay. Since he's pretty much taken the reins and has you know, been an all-star. And would he be the leader of this team as of today? Probably. But then you also have a guy like Spencer Dinwiddie who's on the shelf with a bad thumb. But they're saying he should be back. Karis LeVert who suffered that gruesome leg injury. But thankfully, he's part of the team now. You wonder if they're going to be able to sustain this and be a part of this playoff mix, which I think they will. Now, will they be six? I don't know. Will they be eight? That's quite possible. Because when you have Detroit, who are pretty much in their ilk, as well as Charlotte, Miami, and Orlando... You know, any one of those teams can get on a hot run and then you could be on the outside looking in. You know, I hope Brooklyn makes it just because they're coming out of the, probably one of the worst trades in NBA history. When you think back what happened in 2013, not that we have to rehash it, but we all know the particular parts, Paul Pierce, Kevin Garnett, all those draft picks, etc. But now, as they're trying to get themselves righted and their feet on the ground, knowing that they're going to have a lot of money in this offseason and knowing that across the river, the Knicks, as listen, this is the team in town. The Nets will never overtake the Knicks no matter how many years they're successful. But they want to plant their seed and know that they're going in the right direction and that they want to be a part of the fabric of New York basketball. So for them to 
have this final stretch of 20-some-odd games. What's their record? 30 and 29? So they have 23 games to go. They certainly want to make some noise, not only for this year, but just for years to come. Considering that they're finally getting out of that awful trade, starting to put some pieces together, a culture, coaching staff, organization, etc., that they hope that a lot of free agents, that could be an off-season destination for players in, you know, for years to come. And when you look at the rest of this East, I mean, it is, you pretty much throw your hat in the ring and would you say that if the Celtics went to a final, would you be shocked? Considering the way they played this year, they've been very inconsistent, but of course they've had their stretches where they've you know, played dominant ball. And I know Jason Tatum made the proclamation after him winning the skills challenge saying that the Celtics will win the finals this year. I understand what he's going to say. Oh no, we're not going to win. But he was asked, he goes, hey, anything you want to add? And Sure enough, he came out and said that. So now he and the rest of his team are going to have to own up to that. And the bullseye is going to be squarely on him, more Tatum than the team. But obviously, since he plays for the Celtics, there's going to be teams and players gunning after them. And there was an article written last week, which is pretty interesting, about how the Celtics pretty much have the rest of the East right where they want them, only because Milwaukee, who they've made the leap this year from last year, but there's going to be some pressure on them to go deep despite the fact that they may have the MVP of the league on their team. Toronto with LeBron gone, they don't have to worry about his presence in the conference, but at the same time, the specter of Kawhi, is he going to come back? Can they finally put a deep run into an NBA final up in the T-dot? So there's going to be some pressure on them. The Sixers and everything that they've done with their trades, Jimmy Butler, Tobias Harris, Brett Brown's awful coaching in the second round last year. Can that propel them to a deep run. And then you have the Celtics who have, were one game away from the finals without two of their best players. And as we all know, a lot of it had to do with their chemistry and stuff that we've talked about on the podcast for weeks on end, it seems. But be that as it may, they may have the pedigree and not only that, but also the medal and even the experience to get to an NBA final. And that's pretty much what the article was saying. Now, granted, you can't really base, you could base that run and put that in their back pocket as far as experience is concerned. But you know, if you're going to have Giannis playing at that top level and he's going to pretty much carry that team on his back to an NBA Finals or Kawhi knowing that he's been there, even though it's a different uniform, different city, etc. But, you know, they're looking to get to their first NBA Finals. Philly with the whole trust of process and everything that they've done and putting pushing all their chips to the middle of the table with the deals that they've made. And then you have the Celtics. And how I look at it is, is that this is going to be a team that they certainly need to take that next step. And we know it's not going to be easy. Last year, I thought they kind of they got a little bit of a break only because of Brett Brown's awful coaching because a lot of people thought they weren't going to beat the Sixers in the second round. I didn't think so. And actually, could have, should have, would have been in the NBA Finals. But that's where the East is fascinating from that regard. Unlike the West. See, the, the West is pretty much, as we all know, Golden State and everybody else. And granted, you could say, wow, Denver's had a great year. But to me, they're like in the Milwaukee mold where yes they've had a phenomenal year they have a top 10 player no matter how you slice it he's probably going to be second team all nba maybe third team because i'm sure there's somebody else in uh, besides uh jokic that but he's going to be a top 15 minimum nba player and you have a team that is on the up isaiah thomas has just come back from his hip injuries who knows what kind of spark he's going to give the nuggets 
But when you look at you know that type of team, OKC, I think they're probably the best threat to beat the Warriors in a seven-game series. A lot of people are going to think, well, what about the Lakers? Well, the Lakers aren't even in the postseason mix right now. And there was even somebody that posted the, the chances of making the postseason today. It was like very low. And I'm thinking to myself, do you know the teams are ahead of them? You know, it's not as if you have teams that you have to wonder or worry. Say, wow, you know, this team is loaded. Or, you know, they have Sacramento ahead of them. The Clippers. I understand the Spurs, but the Spurs aren't the Spurs. But they're resourceful. They're going to make the postseason. I mean, it's nothing to, you know, you shouldn't worry about them. But when you look at the West... Unlike the East where it's pretty much fractured, you have the top two teams separated by a game and then you go four or five games down and then you have Indiana, Philly, and Boston pretty much separated by a game and a half. Or even that, I think it's just a half game. And then you have the bottom three. And then out West, right, you may have the top two with Golden State, Denver, but then pretty much from, after OKC, because you got a little bit of a drop, but pretty much from the four seed, I'll even go as far down as Minnesota. Okay. From the four seed all the way down to Minnesota, which Minnesota right now is at the 11 seed, is everybody separated by seven games. So anything can happen. So for the Laker hater, even like myself, to say that, ah, they're on the outside looking in, they're not going to make the postseason, but please. The Lakers are just a good six, seven game winning streak from getting back into the top eight in the Western Conference and then the chances are they're going to stay there. And as we all know, even with LeBron there, anything can happen. They could certainly make a deep run. And he's done it before with bad teams, as you've seen here just in recent memory. But I think it's going to be Golden State and the rest of the field. I know months ago I had come out and said, I think this is a year that Golden State could be picked off. And I think they can. And I'm not going to sit here and change my tune to say, oh, no, that's Golden State has a red carpet to the finals. I'm sure they're going to hit some sort of snag here. I wouldn't be surprised. There's going to be another storyline here between now and before the playoffs. They're going to get bored again. I'm sure they're going to be recharged. charged. They're going to come out. And they've been playing well leading up into the break. But you know that there's going to be another storm coming between now and April 11th. And then once the playoffs kick in, then they're going to flick the switch and you would think that they're going to cruise right to an NBA final. But it's going to be fascinating to see whether an OKC team, I don't think any of the other teams, whether you're talking about Houston, despite James Harden's prowess and all the 30-point games he's had, Portland and everything that they've done, I mean, look at what happened in Portland last year. They had such a phenomenal regular season. Damian Lillard was talked about as being an MVP, and then they got swept by New Orleans. So I don't believe in them. I swear, I've never trusted Houston. Utah, they're a team that, you know, again, resourceful. They have a guy that's a rim protector. We know about Donovan Mitchell. They bring Corver back into the mix, but at the same time, is that a team you're going to trust going up against Golden State? San Antonio, they just don't have the firepower. The Clippers, I, to me, it's just a... I think OKC is probably the best threat. And people can say Houston, I get it, when they're all healthy. But last year, they had such a special year and they came that close that here, this time around, I just can't see it. And just remember this, people. We understand these guys are in phenomenal shape and this is their lives, but all these games have to be taking a toll on James Harden. To have 30 points for 30, whatever, how many consecutive games it is, it's a phenomenal achievement. But at the same time, you know that the tank the gas tank on his uh in his vehicle so to speak is probably at half a tank right now and he's gonna have to expend more between now and the end of the season and once he gets to the postseason forget it and as we all know you look at the back of James Harden's basketball card in the postseason and it is not good so those are things you got to keep in mind and that's what you're looking at here as far as this 
second half is concerned. At the beginning of the year, I picked Boston and Golden State, which I'm sure a lot of other people did. But as we all know right now, it could be any of those teams in the East that I mentioned. And of course, you could say for the West, but I would think Golden State will be the last team standing out West. And I think the East is going to be very interesting. Now, I understand those first round series, if the season ended today, they're not going to be as fascinating. But when you look at those final four, now remember, one of those teams is going to be bumped out. So let's just say the Celtics are a five seed. If it's Celtics Sixers in the first round, as fascinating and as entertaining as it's going to be, one of those teams is going to be gone. So you got to knock them out. And let's say if Indiana happens to lose as a three seed, they lose to Brooklyn, then you're looking at a conference semifinal that's going to be eh, very lackluster to say the you know to say the least. So lots to shake down with the NBA in the weeks to come. And remember about that March first uh, deadline when it comes to players signing out with other teams in the postseason to see who falls where. I know in particular Carmelo, who knows what he has left and who knows how much he could contribute to a team. He's not going to contribute much. He's not going to go in there and you know command 25 minutes a game. He's going to be pretty much be a 12 to 16 minute off the bench microwave type guy. But uh, yeah, that's what's going to make the NBA the rest of this uh, part of the season fascinating. One other thing, I know Anthony Davis came out and said that he didn't say Boston was not on his list. So for the Celtic fan, even like myself, I'm not going crazy. If he comes, he comes. If that's the case, great. But I'm certainly not going to hold out any hope that he's going to come to Boston. If it happens, fantastic. If it doesn't, then so be it. And as we all know, the Celtics have to give up some major assets to get him and quite possibly Jason Tatum. And I understand people are going to say, well, Anthony Davis is an all-NBA top five player, and he is. But still, if the Celtics happen to have another deep run, and let's say even go to an NBA Finals, I mean, do they really need... Anthony Davis as the final piece? I don't know. So that's your NBA people. Uh, before I get on to a couple of other things, uh, let me just look here. I, no, I'll save the college basketball for later because uh, college basketball, even though I could kind of put it under the umbrella of basketball, but it's not going to be much to discuss there. So I'll certainly uh, touch on that later. Oh, the other thing is with the NBA, Del Demps, I know, was uh, released from his duties, the GM of the New Orleans Pelicans, I think it's too little too late if you ask me. We all know that he's going to be gone. I don't know the inner workings of why he was released, considering that the way this was handled, I don't know if maybe they thought that they should have made that trade with LA, considering LA was literally giving up eight players, including those draft picks for Anthony Davis, where Dell Demps was just like, uh-uh, I'm not going to do that. I want to get the best offer. And if that was the best offer out there, and granted that they didn't need to trade him, you know, they didn't need to trade him right away. They probably were waiting for Boston because they know the assets that they have and the players that are on their current roster, which, let's face it, if you're going to ask for Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, as opposed to Alonzo Ball, Kyle Kuzma, uh, who are you going to take? Chances are you're going to wait for that to see what Boston comes up to offer. And as we all know, they can't make a trade with the Pelicans because of the situation with Kyrie Irving because he's going into his free agent year and you can't have two guys that are pretty much going to be max guys on the same team, unless you get to July 1st and once he's a free agent, Celtics do sign Kyrie, then you can make the trade and away we go. So that's what you got there. Uh, I'm going to turn my attention to baseball. And before I get to Jacob DeGrom, there's been uh, an interesting development that's going on with this whole Bryce Harper, Manny Machado sweepstakes deal. Uh, I've been reported today that the through USA Today that the Phillies are looking to go in hard and the 
talks have intensified between the Phillies and Harper's camp to the tune of more than what the Nationals had offered the former MVP back in 2015. Remember, last year the Nationals supposedly had given him that offer of uh, 10 for 300. Well, this offer is supposed to be more from what's been uh, reported. And not only that, but uh, the talks have intensified. Does that mean that something could come down the pike today? Or maybe I'll check the airwaves before I uh, say goodbye to see if anything has come up, if a signing is imminent. But that'll certainly uh, stir the pot, that's for sure, as spring training pitchers and catchers have already reported and position players throughout the land, including the Mets and Yankees, report today. So... You would think in the coming days that something's going to happen here with one of these two players, if not both of them. And as we all know, once one player goes one to one destination, then you know the other one's going to follow suit. And that other person is Manny Machado. And the latest has been that the Padres, when they met with Manny and his people last week in Miami, their offer was 8 for 250 Now, remember, there was a report that the White Sox have offered $250 million. I don't know what the years were. I don't know if it was... A lot said it was one seven for one seventy five. Then they're saying eight for two twenty, whatever it was. Now, from what we hear, it's eight for two fifty. But the problem is, is that a lot of the things that I've read, a lot of the stories, is that Manny's torn because all right, if that money is out there, but that doesn't necessarily mean that that's the destination he wants to go. Because I would think his heart is somewhere in the Bronx, or in this case, in Tampa, where all the Yankees are convening to start their full workouts today. And the Yankees are certainly not picking up the phone to dial to say, what can we do to bring a one Manny Machado to the Bronx? So if Harper does go to Philly, certainly shakes the balance of the National League East right now, if that were to be the case, and then Manny would soon follow. And again, with everybody reporting, these deals are going to have to come in the next few days. Because if this goes into March then these players are already missing out on a couple of weeks here in the early part of spring, you know, spring training. So we'll keep our eye on that. As far as the Jacob DeGrom situation is concerned, to me, there shouldn't be much of a situation for these two reasons. One, we get the year that he came off of, but because he's not a free agent for another two years, the Mets certainly could take their time in putting out a deal. Because we all know based on what the Yankees just did recently with Luis Severino and a different deal, I might add. Not only because of the age, but because they're also thinking about down the road as far as a possible work stoppage is concerned because a lot of that money for Severino is front-loaded. With DeGrom, you can, you're not going to be able to do that. And he's going to want an upwards of $30 million for at least minimum five years, you would think. So, so that's number one. So, And then the second thing is with the situation is DeGrom, although... He deflected everything to his agents, which you don't like, because again, it's about the players, what he wants to do. And I understand he's saying the right things like, hey, I love New York. This is where I want to be. This is where I grew up, blah, 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 so on and so forth. But the problem with him deflecting to his agents is because he doesn't have to come out and be the bad guy. He could just make the agents be the bad guy. And when the question was posed as far as an innings limit, he says, well, hey, that's something that I've discussed with my agents. The second you hear that, that's when, forget about red flags, that's when the alarms go off. Because the last thing you want, as a Steeler fan, and I've seen this, you want a Le'Veon Bell situation going on in your hands? Uh-uh. If I'm the Mets right now, and listen, I would hold serve. I would not 
give him that deal. I would continue the discussions. And it's even tricky here because, as we all know, his former agent was Brody Van Wagenen and all the comments that he said right at the All-Star break last year about if you're not going to pay him, just trade him. We understand he has two and a half years left. And then now that he's the GM, it's almost as he has to backtrack on it. So if you're Brody and Fred and Jeff and Saul Katz, what you're going to have to do here, and you're going to have to save face, you're going to have to tell them, yes, we want you long-term. And I think what the Mets should do is this. I think the Mets should put out an offer because the fan base, as we know, is rabid, is cynical, and let's just face it, they're downright frustrated because when it comes to their homegrown players and when it comes to a player as popular as Jacob deGrom is, you feel as an organization that you'd have to sign this guy. So you know what? You scrapped the last year of free agency or of arbitration and then you give him the four years after that. Or if you want to give him four years at 120 and you pay him 30, do that. So you don't have to worry about giving him a five-year deal. But considering that the Grand's going to be 31 and that's where the controversy lies here. Because it's not as if he's going to be a free agent at 26, 27, 28. He's going to be a free agent at 31. So anything can happen between now and at the end of the 2020 season. So you know what? You want to secure your guy? Say, forget about next year's arbitration. You're making 17 this year. You made seven last year. Starting in 2020, your deal kicks in. Four years, $120 million, Case closed. There's your offer. If Jacob DeGrom and company balks at that, then you don't say a word. That's it. Or if you want to even give him five years, but with less of an annual income, you figure 30 is that nice round number. And you know, you look at a guy like Clayton Kershaw, and Kershaw's done it longer. And obviously he's on his way to the Hall of Fame where Jacob is not. But if you want to give him that 30, and four years after after this coming season, I think that is his... Handsome is an offer you could ever give anybody. And if Jake and their agents are going to thumb their noses at that, then guess what? That is all on the Grom. And then that's when you know the type of player or type of guy he is. And listen, I think DeGrom's a good guy. You see the interviews. He doesn't comes across very unassuming, down to earth, kind of all shucks, etc. But I'm serious. If I'm the Mets, that's what you'd have to do because... Although you hold all the cards and you have every right, and I wouldn't be frustrated or angry. I understand maybe some of the other Met fans would if they waited until after 2020. But if you want the soap opera to end and you want to put some confidence and instill some, I guess you could say the word confidence, I just, not to sound redundant, but if you want to put that out there to your fans to say, listen, we know how special this guy is, we know how dominant of a pitcher he's been. And guess what? We're not going to wait to the end. This isn't going to be the Frank Cashin, Daryl Strawberry of the 90s where we just wrote it out and he gave him a, a weak contract and then off he went. Uh-uh. If you want to show your fan base that you mean business, this is the time to do it. Because if not, it's going to be the same old deal we're going to hear for the next two years. And granted that for me, I'm not going to say I'll be in the minority. I'll be like, oh, hey, Jake's got to ride it out. That's the system. That's the way it's set up. Can't do anything about it. But then the crazy baseball fan or even the Met fan. Well, look what they do with Severino. Again, different scenario. Severino's 24 years old. The reason why they made this deal, and look at the money he's getting. All right, so he may get five for 52. 
because that last year is an option. But he he re-signed four years, $40 million. Guess what, people? Yeah, he was top three in the Cy Young two years ago. And we know he had a dominant first half until he fell apart in that second half and ran out of gas to the point where I'm sure you probably read where he came in this offseason, no more fried food, no more fast food, that he's been eating healthy, and that's what's going to sustain him throughout the course of a 162-game season. So it's a different set of encyclopedias when you're dealing with a guy like Severino because A, the age, B, yes, he does have a little bit of a resume, but at the same time, they can have control because a lot of that money they're going to give him is going to be front-loaded because of a possible, and I would think an impending labor strife come after the 2022 season. Where with DeGrom, he can't do that because of his age and because he's going to be a free agent in 2020. And therefore, they have two years to wait until they can offer him a contract. They don't have to rush. I think in good graces, it would be great for them to put that out there before spring training and let their fans know that, hey, we have been working behind the scenes and hey, this is our offer. Why not? Do they need to do it? Absolutely not. Should they do it? Yeah, they should. Will they do it? I don't think they will. But again, and I understand it's not about appeasing the fans because people say, well, J-Real is not about that. And I know, and I understand that. But look at the history of this organization. This history of this organization cannot hold on to Tom Seaver. Now, granted, that's M. Donald Grant. We get all that. But at the same time, this is the time to take a stand and leave your stamp on this organization moving forward, especially if you're Brody Van Wagenen. And everything that you said, being the politician that you are, oh, we love Jake, we want him to be here, part of the fabric, so on and so forth. Well, and I understand there's no rush, and I understand you don't need to, but you know what? If you really mean business, then make an offer before opening day, and let's see where they stand. And, and a good offer. Now, I'm giving you 30 for 120. Hey, even if you want to go 5 for 125, or whatever it is, that's fine. But I, did, I just think that if they were to do that, then it's all on Jake. And if he says, no, I want more money, then phew, then that, he can just hit the road. And you cannot blame the Mets for one cent. So that's how I feel about it. I mean, I just hope that the Mets do the right thing. And I get that they still got to look at Syndergaard down the road and a few other players. Now, granted, they're not going to be of that ilk when it comes to, you know, the Confortos and the Rosarios, unless they just have unbelievable breakthrough years over the course of the next couple of years, they're going to have to pay these guys. We don't have to worry about it just now. Right now, your focus is Jacob DeGrom, who right now, let's face it, is is not only the face of your franchise, but with David Wright gone, I believe he's the longest tenured player on this team. And he came up in May of 2014. And I was thinking about that right before I started this. I said, wait a second. Now, I got to look back and see, but at the same time, he's the guy. So he's your face. And I get he's a pitcher once every five days, but still. That's something you got to keep in mind. So that's what we have there with the uh, baseball. And again, before we uh, sign off, I'll check up on the uh, Bryce Harper, the latest on that. All right, now I got to get to this uh, Antonio Brown nonsense. Now, he had stated last week through Twitter, Instagram, that for all intents and purposes, Steeler Nation, I love you, but peace, new demands, I'm out. Thanks for the nine years. It's been wonderful, but it's time to move on. All right, that's fine. Now, he's supposedly, there's a report that he's going to meet up with the Roonies at some point this week. Now, I know the Roonies, and we know what they said, that chances are it's unlikely that he's going to be on a team at the start of the year. We know that his cap hit 
right now is at 22.1 million of dead money, especially if they don't get rid of him by the 17th. And as we know, the NFL season or NFL new season starts on March 13th. That's where you could sign free agents. That's where you could shake, you know, move and shake. And I understand that Joe Flacco was traded, but again, that's not going to be done until after March 13th. Flacco got traded to the Broncos for those who were under a rock as far as the NFL news is concerned. So as far as Antonio Brown, if you're the Steelers, you have no choice but to trade him. I think you're only going to get, if you get a one, you you would just, you drive him to wherever that number one, you know, wherever that pick's going to come from, you're going to drive him to that city. Whatever, wherever it is, I don't care if you're driving him by Porsche or by Lincoln Town Car or SUV. You got to do it. Realistically, he's probably going to get a two. I could see maybe a two and a five, something like that, or two and a three, or maybe a two this year, or three this year, two next year, whatever it is. They're not going to get number one pick from him because he's making too much money. It's not going to happen. If you get a two, I think even a two may be high. If people get J. Reels, he's four-time All-Pro, he's A.B., blah, blah, blah. But still, he's going to be 31 years old. Is he going to get any better? And you got to think about that. And not only that, but whatever team system he's going to, it's going to be a much different system than Pittsburgh's. So, I don't think they're going to get... Now, listen, they're not going to get like a fifth-round pick for him, but I think if anything as high, they're going to get his two. If they get a one, I'd be shocked. And if it ends up being a three, then ah, I can see that. But, yeah, it's time for him to go. And I don't want to sound like a broken record because I talked about this last week and weeks on end. Obviously, he doesn't want to be here. He feels like he's the scapegoat for all this nonsense. And then he calls, you know, Roethlisberger, oh, the, the old, uh, he has the owner's mentality. Listen, Roethlisberger won two Super Bowls before he got here, number one. And number two, I get that he's maybe broken a code of uh, conduct as far as the locker room's concerned by putting it out there in the media, especially in that play in Denver, which, yeah, he let up on the route, but Roethlisberger, he did overthrow the ball. So, to Antonio Brown's defense, I mean, the ball wasn't perfectly thrown, despite not finishing that route. But here's a guy that, listen, he's going to Hall of Fame. And granted that Antonio Brown could be a Hall of Famer too because of all the records and all the the production that he's had over the years. But uh, let's face it. If you're going to look at yourself and be the scapegoat, you also got to look in the mirror too and think about what you've done. Missing meetings. We all know what happened that last week of the season. The whole Facebook Live thing a couple years back. The tantrums on the sidelines. You got to look in the mirror too, my guy. And listen, I love A.B. He's been, um, he's, come on, who would have ever thought a sixth-round pick Central Michigan that he, the guy's going to be possibly going to the Hall of Fame? But enough is enough. You know, he can live his best life on Instagram and so on and so forth, but there's also some underlying things too in that James Washington article I mentioned a while back. Look that up. James Washington, Antonio Brown article. That, to me, was a fascinating article because I, I think that encapsulates what's going on in his life. And who am I to say what Antonio Brown should do in his life? But at the same time, I think a lot of it that he wants to put on his quarterback and on the team, well, he also needs to check himself too. Because it goes both ways. He certainly hasn't been the patron saint uh, in a steel steel uniform. And how I look at it, as a Steeler fan, it's time. I get he's going to be tough to replace. I totally understand that. And with the running back who did not play at all last year and the Steelers shouldn't even mess with that too. They shouldn't even salvage or save any face 
knowing that if Brown's going to be out the door, that, hey, Le'Veon, you know, we want you to be the focal point. No, 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 no. Let him go too. But those are going to be two tough positions to fill. Now, James Conner was admirable as far as what he did last year. He's not Le'Veon Bell, though. But to replace Antonio Brown is not going to be easy. And I'm not trying to say to throw him out as if he's yesterday's newspaper. No, but I will say this. With the way that team is constructed, it's all around about Ben and that offensive line. And Juju Smith-Schuster as a second-round pick. And a lot of people thought he could have been number one uh, talent. And what you've seen so far in the first two years of his short stealer career, he has done that. And I get all the double teams, so on and so forth. But hey, that means the guys like James Washington could come and fill in. That means Eli Rogers, who could be your slot guy. The Steelers could find wide receivers. Can they find Antonio Brown? No, of course not. But their offense, I'm sure, will be able to sustain even without Antonio Brown in the mix. And why need the headaches? This was a season to forget. And even his stupid tweets that he came out with yesterday, I know they had an ask, uh, ask Me Anything where he threw Roethlisberger under the bus and then he had another comment uh, that totally didn't make sense when he said, oh, they said the team quit on me. Where Tomlin never said that. So that's why it's time for that circus just to leave town. I'm done with it. I'm tired of the celebrations and all the stupidness that goes around with Antonio Brown. And Hey, best of luck. Let's see if he can get those numbers anywhere else. And let him be some other team's headache. Where hopefully this team, and I think, in closing with the Steeler thing, I really truly believe that this will be a year, if no Bell or Brown, and chances are it's going to be the case, I wouldn't be surprised if those guys in the locker room said, hey, Everybody's going to count us out. Nobody's going to think that we're going to be amount to anything considering what happened last year. Let's put in this work. Let's try to get that seventh Lombardi and considering not that these players would care, but as a fan, I do. That the Patriots had matched the Steelers six all time as far as Super Bowl wins are concerned. Hey, the game's in Miami. The focus, the only goal is to win that game in Miami and we're going to do it without Antonio Brown and we're going to do it without Le'Veon Bell and prove all the naysayers wrong and to me, that would be the fuel going into this offseason. That is it. And if anybody is listening, Steeler fan, Steeler player, which, hey, if they happen to be listening, hey, I totally appreciate it. But my point is, if they happen to be listening, that should be it. No Bell, no Brown, no problem. Seventh, stairway to seven begins today. That's it. And then you have the Colin Kaepernick the situation with the grievance, which was settled there on Friday with him and Eric Reed. Now, Eric Reed actually had gotten his deal extended three years, $22 million with Carolina. So I guess whatever he's getting in the settlement. But the thing about this is we know that this has been going on for quite some time and then it just kind of popped up on Friday. But let's face it. To me, it's a non-story for this reason. So the NFL and they settled with Kaepernick to terms that are undisclosed And in light of that, Kaepernick can't say anything, can't release any type of info, news about whatever it is that they had come up with on their side, you know, to fight against the NFL. So now it's just going to go away as if it was nothing. People were speculating that the settlement, and again, undisclosed, was anywhere between 15 to 80 million dollars. And who knows that? I mean, please give me a break because the NFL, we know that's going to be under lock and key for the rest of uh, our lifetimes. And for Kaepernick, Now, he can't say anything. He says he wants to get back in the league. Who knows if any owner or any team is going to nibble at the thought of bringing him in as an invitee to training camp. And if he doesn't get a job, 
or if any team loses their quarterback during training camp or during the season and nobody signs him, he can't say anything now. So although he won, however much that he did win, and win not from the the money, but win from the sense that uh, the NFL capitulated and they were able to give him that settlement. Not only to make it go away, but for him to stay hush about it. Well, now that he got his money, the thing is, is that he can't say anything about it. So let's just say for argument's sake, the top 10 quarterbacks in the league, they all go down to injury and nobody's picking up the phone to call Colin Kaepernick. He cannot bitch or moan or say anything about, hey, how come nobody's calling me? He can't. Because now that he's already settled and he's got his money in his pocket, NFL says, all right, now you got to stay quiet from here on out. And if you don't get a job in the league, tough. Well, that's the price you pay for doing that. And listen, that's not to say that he was wrong for doing that. Kaepernick had every right to do what he did. And listen, like I said, he won. So whether he got 15, 50, 80, 350. Well, we know that's not the case, but you get my point. Hey, the NFL surrendered. And they said, all right, we don't want this to drag out anymore. We, But at the same time, you cannot say a peep about it. And I'm sure any of his closest people can't say a peep about it. Whatever findings that they had throughout the course of the last two years. So there's the situation with Kaepernick. Uh, let's see what else we have here before we uh, say goodbye. Uh, a couple of things. As far as the college basketball, I'll get into that real quick. Duke will now be number one. They had that epic comeback the other day against Louisville. 23 down 23 with nine minutes to go and they end up winning the game. Unbelievable. And then uh, you had Tennessee lose over the weekend to Kentucky. So Duke is going to be number one. And then they had their first showdown with uh, North Carolina. And the last one will be that final Sunday. Was that uh, right before Selection Sunday? Uh, no, that will be the conference title. But they're going to play in the next couple of weeks. So the first showdown will take place on uh, Wednesday. And college basketball, as we said last week, you know, Duke saving college basketball. When you look at the performance they did the other night and then now here they are number one and the bullseye. I mean, the spotlight is going to be all on them this whole tournament. Pretty much between now and that first Monday in April, it's going to be all about Duke, provided that they make it to that point. And they've certainly shown that they're worthy of it, considering what they did to Louisville. And then now they have their uh, matchup against the Tar Heels, which uh, everybody I'm sure will be watching. And I definitely got to tune in to see some of that. And that's when you know college basketball is relevant when people are actually want to not only watch this team, but when they making a, they're making appointment TV to watch it. So good for them. We'll see how that uh, unfolds not only uh, this coming Wednesday, but down the road. What else I got? The NHL deadline. Now the NHL... Still have another week until they consummate deals, I would think, by 3 o'clock next week or maybe 4 p.m., whatever it may be. But as far as the Islanders are concerned, still in first place, still playing well. Are they going to make a deal here? Are they going to do something? They don't need gold scoring, but do they get a stay-at-home defenseman? Do they get some sort of reinforcement on their team to make a push? I mean, who would have thought they've had more points than Toronto? And Toronto's struggled of late. And I bring Toronto up because of John Tavares. But what will the Islanders do? Now, the Rangers made a lot of moves last year. I think they would stand pat. There may be a guy or two off the top of my head I can't really think of. I don't know. Maybe Kevin Hayes could be on his way out if they're going to bring back something. I don't know if you're going to trade Chris Kreider. Has that ship sailed as far as him being part of this team down the road considering the draft picks and everything that they did last year and all the moves that they made to set themselves up not only for 
next year, but the year after and uh, years to come. You also have the Devils where they're in last place. Are they going to see if they could flip something for some picks? You know, what are they going to do to kind of get themselves back on the beam considering last year they had an MVP player in Taylor Hall and they actually played in the postseason where this year they're not going to sniff the postseason. So I don't, I don't know who's going to be the hot guy, the hot target for any of these teams. I know next week I'll have a better feel, better understanding because I haven't really been on my NHL game. I mean, let's face it, the NHL, unlike the NBA, we talked about this last week, NBA, there's always those nooks and crannies and player drama and talking about how the players are ruling the roost in the NBA. NHL, you're not going to have that. So when you look at the landscape and see where teams are going to jockey for certain players and positioning as far as their seating in the conference goes, there's still a lot to be hashed out between now and next week. And I'm sure as the hours and the coming days, we're going to get a better understanding and a clearer view as to who's going to make that push to Lord Stanley. And you would only hope the Islanders as an Islander fan would be one of those teams to do that. Now, if they stand pat, would they be all right? Mm. I'm not trying to say they have to have a complete makeover, but it'd be nice for them to see if they could hit the pavement and try to bring someone or someones to bolster this team because uh, do they have a chance to go to a final? As we know, the NHL is wide open. Right. You get that the team in Tampa has 90-something points and they're cruising to a President's Trophy. But as we know over the years, how many President's Trophy regular season winners end up winning the Cup? Not many. And it's not to say Tampa's not going to do it or they're not capable of doing it, but we've seen it time and time again. So we'll certainly keep an eye. Of course, you keep an eye on my Twitter account. I'll keep uh, my eyeballs eyeballs peeled for anything as far as a trade's concerned. And then the Islanders, speaking of the postseason, they have announced that the postseason, their first round at least, will go through Nassau Coliseum. So that's good news for the people out in the island. And I'm sure those buildings will sell out. You know, the building will sell out at that point. But to think after the whole Barclays the last couple of years and then now they actually have had games out there and they've been good, they haven't sold out the building. So for the Islander fan that was crying two, three years ago, and I shouldn't talk because I haven't been out to that building. You know, I haven't been out to the Coliseum. But my point is, is that for those who were, oh, I can't believe it, they're leaving the island and I'm not going into Brooklyn and so on and so forth. Now they're going to have games there. All right, playoffs notwithstanding, but come on. So you have that going on. Uh, let's see. And NHL, yeah, I'll get into a little bit more next week after the deadline once all the teams and rosters are set. Well, it'll be kind of tricky because, again, with the deadline, we know there are going to be some last-minute deals. Who knows if you're going to get any type of, I'm not going to say blockbuster, but we still got plenty of time to go. Kind of how I did this second-half recap with the NBA, the NHL. Obviously, I haven't done that, but uh, after the trade deadline, will be a lot more clearer as to what direction these teams will go and I'll give you a better understanding of how I feel. Now we get like Tampa's going to be probably the team to beat not only just in the East but in the, throughout the whole league considering how they played this year. But, uh, you know, we'll certainly take a look at it definitely next week and certainly the week after that here as we go through our sports dead zone here in 2019. And uh, I think that uh, pretty much does it. Yeah, against got the Grom and Severino and the NBA, college basketball. Talk about Antonio Brown. Yeah, you know, get rid of him, so on and so forth. You know the drill, people. Uh, do thank you again for downloading and listening to this podcast. You know where you could uh, get your this podcast. You know where to get it from, from all the various 
podcast platforms, whether it be Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spreaker, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts from. But more importantly, people, I implore you to please leave a rating, post a review on any of those platforms, only because that's just going to increase the visibility of this podcast with all the other ones in the sports universe. universe, And that uh, will certainly increase the visibility amongst the other shows. And not only that, but hopefully that will generate more guests. And that's just uh, how it is, people. You know, when you're uh, an independent outfit like myself, all you're trying to do is just not only get your name out there, but uh, from friends and family, but even those who are listening for the first time, 10th time, whatever it may be, please send the link, spread the wealth to those who love sports, like sports, interested in sports, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. If you want to send me an email or a DM, you could do that at the following the J Reels podcast at gmail.com for any questions, comments, criticism, praise. J Reels on Instagram. J Reels one, just a number on Twitter. The J Reels podcast, my Facebook page. And also, Siri, people. You could uh, shout out on Siri if you have an iPhone. Siri, play the J Reels podcast. It'll pop it right up. All you got to do is hit subscribe and then type a review, leave a rating. It's as simple as that. Also, go to the website, jreels.com, as I'm trying to give it a little facelift. Uh, in the weeks to come as we're approaching a year for the podcast. That's right. March 1st will be a year. So I'm going to see if I can get a uh, anniversary guest. Keep that. I'll be on the uh, all my social media sites and as well as uh, the website. And uh, those people, uh, again, I thank you for taking the time out to listen to what it is I have to say about what goes on in the world of the diamond, the world of the ice, the world of the gridiron, hardwood, golf course, racetrack, tennis court, you name it. From my lips to yours, from my heart to your soul, from where I am to wherever you are, the J-Rolls podcast always comes correct, direct, and in full effect. From the South Bronx, the South Beach, the South Central, the South Pacific, and all points beyond, peace, love, and God bless everybody. Until next time on the J-Rolls podcast, on the Flip Baby. And you know what? Before I even say goodbye, I know I'm playing the music right now and queuing it up. Let's just go and see if anything has happened with the Bryce Harper latest and greatest. No, it has not. So I will sign off by saying that. Until then, everybody, on the Flip Baby.